Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth about the incredible mystery of salvation. The Holy Spirit illuminates the all-sufficiency of the blood of Jesus Christ for the work of salvation, imparting faith to the believer. The Holy Spirit turns that light on, allows me to see myself as a sinner, to understand and feel in my heart the conviction that I'm a sinner. That's the work of the Spirit of God. But I make that choice whether I believe the gospel or not. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. If you want to join an association, you have to have the proper credentials. If you want to be a member of an exclusive country club, you have to pay for the right. But if you want to be a member of God's family, Jesus already took care of the entrance fee. And coming up on today's Simple Truths, Pastor Xavier shares the benefits of being a member of the priesthood of the believer. Do you realize that every believer is a king and a priest? For Jesus has made us kings and priests unto God his Father. Literally, a kingdom of priests, Revelation 1-6 says. Yet despite this truth, there are many in the church today that have allowed the separation and division between clergy and laity, thinking that the pastor is the only one that can perform ministerial duties. John Wesley was confronted by the Anglican Church, and when he began to ordain lay people, they didn't like that, and yet they were called and anointed of God. You can go to school and get a degree, but your degree doesn't anoint you or call you to be a man of God or a minister. Martin Luther withstood the Roman Catholic Church, not only on justification of faith, but on the clear distinction between clergy and laity as a form of elitism, as you know, if you come out of the Catholicism, by teaching that the priests had a greater contact with God. Somehow they were closer. There's no such thing. This was one of the very sins of the church of Pergamos, if you remember in Revelation 2.15, that God hates the sins of the Nicolaitans. The word is made up of two words, nico, which means to conquer, and laos, which means the people or the laity. And so the word means to conquer over the laity in the sense of superior power and dominance for um, absolute authority. It's innate in man to want to rule over man. And under the name of God, some of the most horrible things have been done. Misrepresenting Christianity. The Catholic Church is a perfect example of that. That's not the representation of Christianity. It's a religion. There is never to be in the Church of Christ, therefore, there's elitism, separation between the pulpit and the pew. The only difference between you and I is that I'm called and anointed to be a pastor teacher, but it doesn't make me better than you. You have access to God. You have gifts, you have callings, which we're going to see that you need to seek the Lord for. We all fit in the body somewhere. And so, as we continue in our series on the nature of the church, we want to examine the priesthood of the believers from three perspectives. First, we're going to look at the priesthood of the believer. It's based on their identity with Christ. Very clear and simple. Secondly, the priest of the believer is for service. And then thirdly, the priesthood of the believer is effective 
through the gifts of the Spirit. There's the priesthood of the believers. Let's begin with the priesthood of the believers based on their identity with Christ. In 1 Peter here, chapter 1, verse 2, the believer's identity is through election. He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Election is always based on the foreknowledge of God. Foreknowledge is one of God's unique attributes, if you were with us in our study of theology. It's not communicable to man. He alone possesses it. He possesses knowledge beforehand. That's what foreknowledge means. By virtue of his omniscience, he knows everything. And foreknowledge means the knowledge beforehand, before something happens. The word elect, predestinated, chosen, are all indicative of God's choice of saints before the foundation of the world. We have this in Ephesians 1.4, and Jesus said this in John 15.16 also. And this builds upon what we're saying here in Peter. Now, those he foreknew, Paul says in Romans 8.29, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Don't miss the correlation. This text simply teaches that God knew who would believe the gospel and be saved. Not that he predestinated them to believe the gospel. Okay? Because if God predestinated you to believe without a choice, then he forces you to go to heaven. And the Bible never teaches that. You understand? If there is no transformation, that's the end of predestination. (laughs) Because you're pretending to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, right? That's the evidence of your birth. Those he predestinated, he says in Romans 8.30, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. So there, all of those phrases, they're what is called the perfect tense, completed. So some will say, how can this be? Well, simply because predestination never violates man's free will. But predestination and free will are not contradictory to each other, but they're complementaries of the same coin. Certainly God knows who would believe, but he didn't force man to believe. If God forces people to believe in regards of what happens, they're going to believe, then why preach the gospel? Aren't you afraid you're going to preach to the wrong people? And if people who are not predestined can't believe, then why should we have the Great Commission? We should forget about it. (laughs) And hyper-Calvinists believe that too. That's why they don't evangelize. Now, election is worked out, notice in verse 2 there, through the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and trust in the atoning blood of Christ for salvation. The Holy Spirit sets people apart for the purpose of enabling them to believe without ever violating one's free will. He enables you to believe, but he doesn't force you to believe, nor does he believe for you, okay? The Holy Spirit illuminates the all-sufficiency of the blood of Jesus Christ for the work of salvation, imparting faith to the believer. So I hear the gospel. The Holy Spirit turns that light on, allows me to see myself as a sinner, 
to understand and feel in my heart the conviction that I'm a sinner. That's a work of the Spirit of God. I'm not saved yet, but I realize I'm at odds with God. And I hear in the gospel that if I agree with God that I'm a sinner and that he died for my sins and that the wrath of God's upon me, if I will call upon his name and ask him forgive me because I need a savior, then he will save me. But I make that choice whether I believe the gospel or not. The two thieves on the cross, one believe, the other one disbelieve. One was with Jesus in that day in paradise, the other one was left in hell. It was a choice. The Holy Spirit would be another comforter, just like Jesus, of the same kind guiding man into all truth and speaking in the authority of Jesus, never glorifying himself. Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 16, and 16, 13 through 14. So the Holy Spirit only speaks of Jesus, never of himself. The Holy Spirit turns on the light of the word of God. It doesn't add to it, doesn't take away from it. He is the same person of the same sort, deity, God, but the third person of the Trinity. I will send you another of the same kind. Who? God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the comforter sent by Jesus that we might not be orphans, but rather children who are loved, taught, guided, and comforted. John 14, 18, Jesus said that. I will not leave you as orphans. Now, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, then, Jesus said in John 16, 8. This is all a work through the gospel, as you hear the gospel. No person can be persuaded by mere words that a man's a sinner. In fact, if anything, it provokes them to anger. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit as he turns that light on and bring that conviction. Yet God uses normal human language to proclaim the gospel, but it's the power of the gospel that Jesus Christ is God who became man, crucified for the sins of the world, resurrected and sits at the right hand of the Father, that God honors and illuminates and allows it to become the conviction in the heart of the sinner. Now, notice here in 1 Peter 2, from verse 4 down to 10, the believer's identity is through coming to Jesus. No one can bring you to Jesus, not Mary, not works, not marriage, nothing. Okay? No saint, no virgin, no works, no nothing. Only Jesus can bring you to God the Father. We responded to the, to the living stone in verse 4 here of chapter 2. He says, Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by man, but chosen of God, and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scriptures. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will, not, will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his 
own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So we responded to the living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God, precious, namely Jesus, verse 4. We become living stones in verse 5, a special house, a holy priesthood, spiritual house to offer up spiritual sacrifice, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He's the mediator. We, the church, are part of the fulfillment of the Old Testament in its prophecies, verse 6 through 8. The chief cornerstone was rejected in the building of the temple, if you remember, of Solomon, prophetic of Jesus Christ being rejected by the Jews and received by the church. He was sent to his own, his own received them not. And Jesus wept over Jerusalem and brought judgment on the Jews, rejected them until he would come the second time, reject the stone. Now notice he says that we are, in 9 and 10, that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, holy nation, his own special people. The old King James says peculiar people. <laughs> that we might proclaim the praise of him who called us out of darkness into the marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are a people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Anybody who says to you that they're a Christian and they're still living the way people live in the world, they're liars or they don't understand the gospel, one of the two. That's one of the problems with the emergent church. They don't learn the word of God because they believe you can't learn any objective truth from the word of God. So they just dialogue. And they live like they did before. A chosen generation is Israel, a kingdom of priests and holy nation, as Exodus 19, 5 and 6 said of Israel. This people I have formed for myself, Isaiah 43, 21 says, they shall declare my praises, referring to the church. The church is hidden in the Old Testament. It's not as clear, but it's there. A royal priesthood is Israel's firstborn. Remember Exodus 13 when they came out of Egypt? The firstborn was the priest of the home. Exodus 13, remember God exchanged the firstborn later on for the tribes of the Levites. The firstborn were redeemed for the Levites in Numbers 3. A holy nation as Israel, a people of the same nature. In Exodus 19, 6, Isaiah 62, 12. A special people indicating ownership, his possession. We belong to him. He has redeemed us. I've mentioned before, when you go to um, and, and you hawk something, you get money for it, that's yours. They give you 30 days, three months, whatever you put as a condition to be able to redeem it. Because it's your possession that belonged to you, then you rightly have the right of redemption. If you go past that date or line of time, then someone can buy it, but they don't redeem it. It never belonged to them. They buy it. You redeem what is yours. God created us in his image. We are fallen. Then he has the first right of redemption because we belong to him. But the only thing with that is that he doesn't redeem us against our will. He made the provisions for all the world through the blood of Christ, and then through the gospel, we respond to the gospel and become his possession. A people to proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. There's a, the radical transformation. We used to be in darkness. 
And then all of a sudden, we're in the light. We see the right and the wrong. We see a two-way street. Before, we just saw a one-way street. The people of God who have obtained mercy, less than we deserve. Each believer can afford service to God as one of the royal priesthood. Every believer. The Catholic Church has no basis for their priesthood, which Israel ordered after Aaron. He was a priest. And so the Catholic Church orders it from the Old Testament, but it has no right to it because that priest was done away with, right? That was prophetic of Jesus Christ. And really, it didn't even follow to the fulfillment of Aaron because he came after the tribe of Judah, not Levi. So Melchizedek is the fulfillment of the priesthood of Jesus Christ, not Aaron. Okay? The Mormons claim Melchizedek priesthood. But it's not legitimate because it spoke of Jesus Christ. And that priesthood is untransferable in Hebrews 7.24. It stopped with Jesus Christ. There's no more priest. You can go before the throne of grace. I can go before the throne of grace in the name of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad you don't need anybody to go for you? (laughs) Now, the believer's identity is a personal representative of God. We're called ambassadors. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The priesthood of the Old Testament represented the people to God as he entered the tabernacle. When the priest entered in, he represented the people to God. He would have the name of Israel on his heart, as you know, all the 12 names, indicative of the concern and love of the people. And he would have them on his shoulders, six on each shoulder, indicative of bearing the burden of the people because he's going before God to represent the people. The priests of the Old Testament represented God then to the people as he came out of the tabernacle. He would have the word of God to speak forth to the people, having been with God and presented the people to God. He would have the blessing of God for the people. He would have the authority of God towards the people because he served the holy God. And he went in and lived to come out. Then God honored his intercession. He was right with God. If he wasn't right, he killed him. It was a very dangerous thing to be a high priest. (laughs) The priest alone had access to God, and he had to be right with God or he would die. The sacrifices were based on the confession of sins for forgiveness, as you know. The animal would be slain. The hands would be laid on the head. Sins being transferred symbolically. The animal would die in my place. Blood put on the horns, filleted on the altar. God would honor that. The life of the flesh is in the blood, Leviticus 17, 11. It's the precious blood of Jesus Christ that we're redeemed. He is the Lamb of God, John 1, 29, who redeems us. The priest would enter once a year, as you know, the Holy of Holies, for the forgiveness of the sins of the nation, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The priesthood of the believer in the New Testament is superior, all having access to God's throne, coming boldly before the throne of grace in order to obtain mercy and find grace in time of help and need, Hebrews 4.16. The Old Testament, only the high priests could enter the Holy of Holies once a year. Many sacrifices, many offers. The priests of the Old Testament alone could minister to the people, but now we can minister to each other. The priests of the Old Testament alone could intercede, as we've said, 
but now we can intercede for one another. And we can intercede for sinners also. We can pray with each other, for each other, among each other, but not because we can't go before God ourselves. As long as we understand that, we're okay. You understand? Very clear. So we pray for one another, not because we are better than the other, but because we love one another. And I hold you in prayer that God would speak to your heart, strengthen you, guide you. Now, the priest of the Old Testament was consecrated by God, as you know. Exodus 29 gives us that. And the priest was washed at the door of the tabernacle with water. We are washed by the word and the blood of Jesus Christ. John 15, 3 told his disciples, you are cleansed by the words I have spoken unto you. The precious blood of Jesus Christ makes us whiter than snow, 1 Peter 1.19. Around every snowflake is a speck of dust. Every snowflake has a dirty heart. Perfect picture of a sinner. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. The priest was to wear special garments, as you know, made for the priest. We have been clothed with the fine linen, white and clean by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, Revelation 19.4. It is his righteousness that we're clothed with. The priest offers sacrifice constantly, as we said. We rest in the Lamb of God. Once and for all offered Jesus. I already gave you John 1.29, Hebrews 7.26, and 1 John 2.2. He is the propitiation for our sins, the believer, and not only our sins, but the whole world. He died for all. If he died for all, then all can be saved if they respond. Because God doesn't force people to go to heaven. And God has never predestinated one person to go to hell. If you get to heaven, you're never going to hear somebody up there say, doggone it, I wanted to go to hell. And God forced me here. But if you get to hell, you will hear every person there say, doggone it, I could have gone to heaven. And I chose hell. You understand? The priests consecrated his right ear, as you know, his right thumb, his right toe, with the blood of the sacrifice, to hear the voice of God, to do the service of God, to walk in the ways of God. It's a good example for us. But we, the New Testament believer, present our whole body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. And we're not fashioned to this world system, but we are transformed by the renewing of our mind to prove what is that good acceptance the perfect will of God, Romans 12, 1 and 2. The priests would have communion with God, as you know, through sacrifices. We have ongoing communion with God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, prefigured in the Passover of Egypt and memorialized in the Lord's table. Exodus 12, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, and the intercessor, 1 John 2, 1, the lawyer for the defense. So as you can see, that the New Testament saint has a priesthood completely different from the Old Testament. The privileges and benefits of an heir are not based on who they are or what they have done, but on the person who has bequeathed all things to them. And so with our priesthood, in our identity with Christ, it is based on what Jesus has done, not what we have done. Those that are priests unto God, a priesthood in the church, are not those who only committed certain sins. 
all are pleased because all have been forgiven. You understand? Pastor Xavier Reese reminds us that in God's economy, it's not what you know or how well you know it, but whom you know that really matters. And you can request a copy of today's encouraging message called The Priesthood of the Believer. As always, it's available on CD for just $4. And this is one message you'll want to pass along to encourage your friends and loved ones in the Lord. The title to ask for once again is The Priesthood of the Believer, or simply mention today's date when you write. Ask for yours by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you include the call letters of this station when you contact us. When you become a member of the church, you inherit a whole new family and a new standard of accountability. That's the topic on our next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Hope you'll be back. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 